There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Barbican Screen Talks Archive podcast. This time, it is my privilege to introduce a particularly joyful gem from our archives. A conversation with the creative team behind 2018's triumph of experimental cinema, Madeline's Madeline. They are writer-director Josephine Decker and cinematographer Ashley Connor. Madeline's Madeline stars Helena Howard as Madeline, a teenage actor who has a fraught relationship with her single mum, played by indie darling Miranda July, and an intense relationship with theatre director Evangeline, played by Molly Parker. Evangeline encourages her young star to blur the lines between her stage character and her own real identity. It's not entirely dissimilar from the improvisational production process that filmmaker Decker used to work with actor Howard. And this blurring of reality and fantasy becomes a visual motif in the film. Madeline's Madeline was Decker's third feature film as writer-director. Since this screen talk was recorded in 2019, She's gone on to make a fourth, the loosely biographical drama Shirley starring Elizabeth Moss as horror writer Shirley Jackson. In this conversation though, Decker discusses her debut feature, Butter on the Latch, a psychological thriller set and filmed in a Balkan folk music camp. She also mentions her follow-up, the racy rural quasi-thriller Thou Wast Mild and Lovely, and an earlier part-animated short called Me the Terrible. All of these were collaborations with cinematographer Ashley Connor. Connor is a hugely accomplished camera person in her own right. She's done all the cool stuff in her career, including episodes of Broad City, music videos for Jenny Lewis and MGMT, and the upcoming Lena Dunham film, Sharp Stick. Still, something magical happens when Ashley and Josephine get together, and the special quality of this collaboration really comes through here thanks to some expert Q&A moderating from film journalist Beth Webb. You'll hear them talk about how the film is, in Decker's words, a critique of its own process, how all creative processes verge on the unhealthy and obsessive, and why clowning is a lot less fun than it sounds. The pair also reveal their cinematic influences, which you'd otherwise never guess in a million years. And make sure you listen all the way to the end for a surprising question which elicits an equally surprising response. I'm Eleni Jones, and this is Barbican Screen Talks on Madeline's Madeline with Josephine Decker and Ashley Connor. 
I'll start by saying probably selfishly what one of my favorite things about the film is and that's that it never seems to kind of sit still it feels like this organism that's constantly moving and changing and um watching it my reactions to the story and to the three central characters changed all the time and I wanted to know if that was the same for yourself over the lifespan of the film because there was a process to making the film and I wonder how your relationship with the story and with those characters changed yeah well thank you for that question I don't think I've ever no one has ever asked that before that's a great question my I mean it's interesting the character of Madeline I think you guys can probably tell this is a pretty personal film in a bunch of different ways there's some meta aspects to it but Helena the lead and I I mean, I basically like kind of discovered her at this acting festival when she was 15 and ran down the hallway. It was like, I want to make something with you. And and then we rehearsed with a group of actors for about six months. We spent time working with improvisations and sort of devising in a way the film. And Ashley was part of that process. But I think, you know, it's clearly in some ways, I think it, I mean, this film is also a critique of its own process. And there were so many things I learned along the way. And there were so many ways that each of these characters changed. And I think Madeline evolved in so many ways, both as I was getting to know Helena and learn her range and what she could do. And I mean, there's a lot of learning that happened over the course of this film. Yeah. And so Madeline, I think for a long time, it was hard for me to write her because I felt like Helena is not me. I don't know her story. I'm not mentally ill, although this film was deeply inspired by someone very close to me who was hospitalized for mental illness the year that I started making this film. And I'd been very close to that person my whole life. So I'd really, really, um, that inspired the movie in, in a way, like some of the deeper questions in it. But I also was very aware of my outsiderness to that story, that even though it was something I had felt like a witness to in intimate ways, I, I'm not a person who has mental illness. But so for a long time, I feel like the character of Madeline didn't work on the page because I wasn't allowing myself to bring myself fully to it. She was like this tragic figure and I needed her to be more full and alive and like, you know, have flaws and have agency. And so I was like, I have to let myself be her to be able to write this character. And our process was that we worked together with the actors for about six months. And then I went away and wrote for about a year on my own. And the other transformation was, um, the biggest one was probably Miranda July, like yeah. what she brought to the mom. I mean, I thought the mom would be the villain of this movie. I was like, I thought she was way worse than Evangeline's character. And then when Miranda played her, you know, it's like you fell in love with the mom. And she, yeah. there's such a tenderness and like a gentleness to her that I felt suddenly like the empathy and the horror of being a mom. When you feel that your child is unsafe, you'll do anything. Even if the thing that you're doing to quote unquote help her is maybe making her more unsafe and and more dependent on you I'm sure in the moment that's what feels right you know it's like you want to keep your kids safe so the terror and anxiety of the mom I just really came to that was a total transformation yeah it's such a luminous performance from Miranda I love it and then your relationship together I feel like you must have such a strong bond to be able to bring Josephine's vision to the screen in the way that you do you've collaborated on all of Josephine's films now I'd love to know how the initial conversations go when you first come together and you start this journey together on a new project like how do those conversations come about what do you talk about I think when we first started collaborating with Me the Terrible which was our first collaboration I had just graduated from college and we happened to meet but for Butter and the Latch, I think we were making low-budget films at such a low budget <laughs> where it was truly Josephine, me, and the sound person going into the woods for seven days, 
to make a project. That was it. And so I was doing lighting, whatever. There was no money involved. There was no producer involved. There was no weight on us to deliver a product. And I think that the collaboration being born of that process is very inherent to the way that we work. And so all the films were kind of born of this circumstance. And, you know, I think it's a beautiful testament to um, Claire Denis and Agnes Godard, whose way of working never worked with a monitor. And when we first started collaborating, there was no monitor, there was no structure, it was very open, it was very trusting, it was very much about experimentation and Josephine letting me kind of follow my intuition. Mm. And I think Madeline's Madeline is the culmination of that process where we really were able to see what we had done on her previous films and kind of hone in on certain theoretical concepts that we had started, like focus. Yeah or abstraction and ways of degrading the image. And Madeline's Madeline felt like the appropriate way to use that tool for Madeline's perspective. And so it was a very special collaboration where, you know, we did a lot of body work. I was part of the process of acting and I don't like to do that. (laughs) Um, But it was really a lot about, positioning ourselves with Madeline and what she was feeling and Josephine's films aren't about the narrative they're about the experience and as an audience member you're asked to come to the table as a participating member and really feel the same journey Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's sort of where our conversations always start is like how do we make an audience feel and it was really amazing our first um when we worked on butter on the latch which was like for me my first feature and it was like sort of a logistical nightmare in the woods like it's a film set at this balkan folk song and dance camp and there were like 200 people who attend the camp and the only crew is really outside of the dp and the sound person is me so i just had forgotten that there's this whole other job that needs to get done especially when there's that many people around of just people walking up while you're shooting and being like what are you guys working on you know <laughs> which was like the like 90 percent of like my job as a director was to try to like kindly because we were on the camp thanks to the goodwill of the camp kindly somehow get those people to leave so that we could keep shooting and we were improvising the film so i was like just thinking so much about the writing and the work with the actors who were never acted before so i feel like i i don't think i gave hardly any input on the camera in that shoot and i just remember being like at the end of the night i, I was also in charge of downloading all the footage until like three in the morning and but i would look at it and be like wow ashley's so cool um and i think dps really make or break movies and especially early work because I think there's just ways of seeing that have been done a million times and I think there's something about Ashley's way of seeing and that really that I saw so clearly I think when we made our first projects together which was that like she has a ton of restraint and she doesn't care if like half of the image is missing or if like I had worked in documentary previously And, you know, if you're shooting something here and then something exciting happens over here, you just throw the camera over there and you shoot the person talking over there. And we improvised butter on the latch. So sometimes that would happen. Something would be happening over here something, and then something interesting happens over here. Ashley (laughs) would, like, be here and she would just slowly move the camera. And there would be this time when you could hear something and you can't see it yet. And I was like, for me, it was amazing. And I really think like a lot of my work kind of rests to be perfectly honest, like on your shoulders in a way, because that people would not have paid attention to those films. I think in the same way, if that way of seeing wasn't so unique and kind of filled with restraint. 
Anyway, so it was a good collaboration. And this one was really special. We had spent so much time with the actors and with the material before we started that it really became... I think Ashley just knew really clearly what movie, and really everyone that was part of that process knew like what movie we were making. And then by the time we started talking about the image, it was just very clear what needed to happen. Like we needed to be inside her mind when we were inside her mind, and that needed to feel completely different than the rest of the film. And yeah. Ashley built a very special rig to make that possible. It's seamless. It just feels seamless. It's almost dangerous how seamless it is between you, when you flip between reality and and the state of mind that Madeline's in I'm going to open it out to people just after one more question which is quite specific to your journey as a filmmaker because I find a lot of filmmakers can usually pinpoint where their journey in film started to a very specific moment in time I was wondering if there was a, a specific moment almost like a light bulb moment where you were like I want to start making films do you remember what that was like um I do it's really it's sort of an embarrassing story um I mean, I grew up, actually, I should say that my dad is here in the audience. Oh, yes. Hi, dad. Uh, Michael, Michael Decker. <laughs> Michael Decker's here. Yes. And who very, um, <laughs> has contributed to this movie in many ways. Uh, maybe the most importantly is giving birth to me. So thanks, dad. You <laughs> so like the patriarchy. Also, um, uh, but also served as one of our, our executive producers. So thanks. And you guys can ask him questions too when we open to the audience. Yes, I would absolutely. really I'd be very interested in what you would might ask. Um, <laughs> wait, I totally got lost on what was the oh you asked what was the inciting incident, right? For the like your light bulb moment yeah. when you were like So actually I mean I grew up with a father, he's a poet and also a businessman. So I grew up around a lot of poetry and really like world cinema. I feel like I was exposed to a lot when I was young. But I hadn't thought about being a filmmaker. I'd really thought a lot about being a writer and I was a pretty serious musician when I was a kid. And then got into college and really had no idea what I was going to do after. I was very panicked because school, I was really, I felt like I was good at school. And like then when it was ending, I really didn't know what to do next. And I was my roommate of all four years of college. We were watching like towards the end of our senior year. I never really got to do this dur like much during college, but the end of senior year, you sort of get to do whatever you want. So I wa we were watching Monsters, Inc. in, in their <laughs> dorm room. <laughs> And I love Pixar. And I was just laughing like a four-year-old would laugh at that movie. And she just like paused the movie and she was like, this is what you need to do with your life. You love this so much, you know? And I was like, that is what I need to do with my life. <laughs> um, and I really, and it was like, the, it was kind of, it really dawned on me. I was like, I should really make Pixar movies. So that's obviously what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but it really, it did turn into like exploring film and, and, Film is the combination of everything that I had been interested in, photography, costume design. I had done a lot in college, performance in different ways, and then also writing and music. So it's, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. You get to do everything, but, you know, you sort of don't have to be that. As a director, you don't have to be good at any of them. So you just have to be have good taste in collaborators. <laughs> well, thank God for Mike and Sully. If it's yeah. like, what is this? Um, right, let's have some questions, please. Josephine, I was just wondering, it sounded like this was a really personal project for you, but I was wondering where the kind of idea for the film came from and what you were trying to achieve with it. And then for Ashley, uh, you mentioned about acting as a DP, and I was just really interested to hear a bit more about that. Okay, so um, it's funny because in some ways I feel like the just the early ideas for this project were a little bit too unformed which was one of the things I think I like also critiqued in the way in the movie which is just that Evangeline's a little lost you know and I went into it with super idealistic notions about collaborating and we we're all going to make this together and we will just find it you know together when we get all these people in this room and there were a few things that I did know that I wanted to make work about one was obviously I was 
having had this close person institutionalized for mental illness, I was really like digesting that. But also I was really curious about family dynamics. I had taken really like the, the moment that inspired wanting to make this film at all was there's this like Lecoq style of theater, physical theater. So it's a theater that's sort of built out of gesture and physicality. And the whole idea is to create theater out of movement instead of relying on dialogue or script. Uh, and also to gestate a work with actors to kind of devise theater and let the actors in a way be writers. So the hub of kind of that whole Lecoq training in the United States is this group Pig Iron Theater and they have a school and, and I had worked with them in college. And so we spent, um, I worked with them actually on a bunch of different productions doing like important things like playing a worm puppet. That was <laughs> my big starring role in there. Uh, but I also was an assistant writer. I'd seen their process. So they had a three-week summer intensive that kind of climaxed in a week of clowning. And I felt that even though the first weeks had been really remarkable and you're with these actor, other actors like eight to 10 hours a day, the clowning week, something happened, something changed. I mean, it's clowning is so challenging, actually. I mean, it's, it's not exactly, at least in America, we have a very specific idea about clowning. You erudite Europeans probably know like how complex and amazing clown is. Um, <laughs> but breaking that fourth wall to the audience is, um, is so terrifying, you know, and that's, I guess that's really the main meaning of clown is just that you're talking directly to the audience. So what happened when people would perform and when they would kind of be finding their clowns is I just felt like the people I had met and then worked with for like 10 hours a day for two weeks, they disappeared and the real them emerged on stage while they were clowning. And I, I, I was so taken by that. And I felt like there were sides of people that I don't think they even knew that they had inside themselves that were so gripping and intense and like beautiful or, or angry or embracing your own, you know, wretchedness. There's something really scary and enlightening I think about that kind of work so I just got obsessed with like performance as this passageway to truth into your inner truth that it might be that when you're in performance maybe something that you're accessing is more real than your self that you're projecting in daily life so I started really thinking a lot about like how would the camera like move between like, could you be in a room with actors and then the camera could kind of become something that was like outside that room? And and th so I started really thinking about the opening of this film of like being a sea turtle in the ocean. And then then you realize you're a woman wearing a sea turtle costume in the ocean. And then it's like a woman pretending to be a sea turtle in a theater room, you know, and maybe not, at, you know, so that kind of that image sort of came to me and then the movie sort of fell around it. And me and acting. Um <laughs> I was forced to go to the clown camp. Uh, <laughs> I don't like performing in front of people. It's not something that like I get off on. I don't like, I'll be looked at here and that's fine, but I don't like an audience looking at me. So it was deeply painful. Clown is like a misnomer. It was not fun. Um, <laughs> lots of tears of everybody. Uh, but basically, you know, as a cinematographer, my greatest pleasure is bearing witness to great performances and really speaking truth to their performance and really listening. And that has been something that I'm deeply invested in. And for me to be part of the rehearsal process created a different element and a different level of intimacy with the performers because. As somebody with a camera, with a barrier, you really want to be open and feel like you're listening. And that, to me, is really important. And, you know, I studied experimental film. My background comes from that. Like, 
I like creating in-camera effects and Josephine's kind of the only director I work with who lets me feel my bliss in that kind of way. But at the end of the day, you really want to speak truth to whatever somebody gives you. And so working with Helena and working with Molly and working with Miranda, like they're very different performers. And so you really want to like treat them nicely and kindly and so that they open up to you. And so being behind the camera, I really want to be a present force and like a reinforcement to them and let them know that like I'm there with them. And I think that that's sort of what this film speaks to is like being with people and the perspective might be Madeline for most of the film. But I think for all the performers, it kind of created this different kind of community that we could all speak to each other subconsciously and through motion and through touch and it's a very different process than, say, different films that I've worked on and a very different style. And so you really want to honor that when performers give this much of themselves and especially through improvisation where you're really having people like open up in a different way. You want to be there and like listen. How do we click? I have the friend here. We'll, we'll repeat the question. That's a great question. So um, the question was, there's a lot of unhealthy, obsessive behavior that was in the film that was derailing the creative process. And he wondered if that was related to my own experience or our own experience of making the film, which is a great question. Also, I have never had that question and I'm very excited to see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, it's like, where do you even start? There's so many things. Um Let's just say maybe like without like pointing to or throwing anyone under the bus, like the film is deeply inspired in some ways by both our work together with the actors. But also when I went away, you have to kind of make something really personal, I think, to make it work or, you know, access a truth that is part of your truth. So it's like some of the behavior of the two women or three women really um, definitely echoed experiences that I'd had in my own life or even interactions that I had. And then I would love to find a creative process that isn't unhealthy and obsessive, but I think that's, it eats you a little bit making art. And I sometimes wonder why I do it because it's so painful. Um, <laughs> this movie was painful in a particularly good way. I think like, I don't want to, this is all being recorded. I just can't, I'm like, how honest can I be? Um, I just realized that like when a movie is painful because you're growing and you're learning so much and growing is obviously incredibly painful. Like there was a lot of moments in this film where I felt like I was letting people down, where my focus on the art was so strong that I had overlooked or had not necessarily gotten to focus on the people in the way that I had wanted, that I had intended to, or that like a fear of doing something wrong and then wanting so badly to fix that sometimes also clouded having a more honest, open interaction with the people I was working with. So, but honestly, the, the most obsessive part for me comes out in the edit, actually, also. Um, I just feel like there's a zillion, there's a million ways, especially with material like this, you could turn this movie into anything. That gets very obsessive for me. But the more, I guess, growth-oriented letting go of obsession was really in learning how to let myself disappoint people and then be present to their reactions to that. To me, it's kind of what's missing. It's definitely what's missing in a filmmaking process because you don't have time to deal with people when you're making a movie. You you have this insane schedule where you're shooting these really long days. And I think that in itself was disappointing for me and the actors after having this very process-oriented 
like rehearsal section, it's also just incredibly scary to open yourself up to that level of feedback. And but I think that was why it was also really growth oriented. So very unhealthy and obsessive. Thank you for asking. <laughs> but I'll, but also when you make work that's so personal and deals with people's stories and people offering themselves up, it's always going to be deeply complicated. It's never not. And I think that that was something that was like a release to everyone. That was separation of self, separation of art, separation of what we were making. And I think that that's also why this film is so difficult for everybody who collaborated on it, because everyone came to the table with a lot of themselves. And it's deeply personal for everybody. This is like reading a diary entry for a summer, for a year and a half, two years of all of us collaborating and talking and growing with each other. And there's always going to be hurt feelings in that process. Sorry, this is a really boring question. Um, you two have both got like really interesting perspective and um, aesthetic. And I just wonder what sort of your favorite films and that films that inspired you because it's I can't pinpoint something that's anything like this. So I just wondered what stuff inspires you basically. Uh, for me, having studied experimental film, you know, Maya Darren is always somebody who I deeply love. Hollis Frampton, Bruce Connor, those are kind of like my people who I turn to. And then I sort of have more narrative people. I love Lynch, obviously, Claire Denis. My favorite, who <laughs> I tried getting Josephine to get into when we made That Was My Own Lovely, uh, is Carlos Regatas, who I think fails the hardest of any filmmaker working but also succeeds the best and his work is so exciting to me because it's so fucking awful <laughs> and uh, I find that really inspiring especially when budgets get involved and people start controlling you or producers start talking over your shoulder and telling you that you're doing something wrong it's a fear-based system and it's very scary to experiment beyond that especially when you're hearing notes and so he's somebody who I think He's rich enough to not care, but also uh, he creates really important films that fail a lot. And I think that that's something that I've always celebrated about Josephine is that she's not fearful of failing. And I think that's what makes these films have such friction attached to them because they don't always work and they will never always work. And that's what's beautiful about them. It's interesting because I was thinking when I'm making a film, I always, I get very afraid of like watching too many movies, especially things that could be like it. And I absorb a lot. And so uh, I get like a scared that I'm going to turn into that artist and not be my own artist anymore. But, but if there are two artists that I would like be very happy if I just magically transformed and turned into them, um, <laughs> Andrew Arnold is one of them yes. and Chloe Zhao, you know, but actually the only movie that I think came up when we were preparing for this film because I'm always really hesitant to even like put pictures from another movie into like a pitch book because I it, yeah it is funny how I love like paintings or photography but yeah sometimes talking about other movies I yeah I don't know I have like a superstition I guess so but was Diving Bell and the Butterfly because I think that the immersion and the way of seeing and this like strong subjective perspective felt like something that I was like super excited by and interested in so yeah those are some of the ones but Babe about the little pig is my <gasps> Um, it's that's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> what a joy! Right, we've got one more question. We haven't really heard from the back. Um, hi. This might be a bit ridiculous, but I was quite taken by the hair pulling, and I just wondered if either of you have ever pulled anyone's hair out. 
that, so, that was great. That's a very good question. <laughs> you got to ask the people I've had sex with, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh. Wow. <laughs> I've been working here. This is my one day off, so I've had, like, I've had, like, a couple beers. It's fine. Um. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, the, the, my answer is embarrassing, but her answer is definitely better. But um, <laughs> my I remember in eighth grade, and this sixth grader was her, had been harassing my little sister, and was being really mean to her. And we walked by. I'm from Texas, so like American football is the you know you do you have to go every Friday. It's like the only place to be. It's so stupid. And so everyone goes to the football game from when you're like seven even though it's a high school football team. Anyway, so we were walking through this crowd and we ended up walking by this girl and the girl tripped my sister while we were walking by her. And I ended up getting in like a part of what's so embarrassing is that like I was probably already five, seven or something. And this girl was maybe like four, 10. She was so (laughs) small, but she was so angry and mean and so like scary. She was really scary. And I was like, don't mess with my sister. She's like, anyway, we ended up like in this like hair pulling, (laughs) like cat fight. But then I was like, all of my nonviolent, peaceful instincts are not, but you know, it's like, you got to defend your sister. Anyway, um, I don't know that either one of us really won that fight. We just sort of realized that this was a ridiculous thing to be doing in public. And then we wandered off. But um, that is, I think, the only time I've pulled someone's hair that I'm willing to talk about in public. <laughs> what a joyful last question to end on. Please give us a massive round of applause for Josephine Decker. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for being here. Thanks for listening to this Barbican Screen Talk with writer-director Josephine Decker and cinematographer Ashley Connor. Join us next time to hear more great filmmakers answering thoughtful questions in unexpected ways. In the meantime, please rate and subscribe to Screen Talks via Apple Podcasts, Acast or your usual podcast provider or by visiting barbican.org.uk. And we're always keen to hear your thoughts. You'll find us on social media at Barbican Centre. Barbican Screen Talks Archive is presented by me, Ellen E. Jones, and produced by Jane Long for Loftus Media. We'll be back next week with Armando Iannucci and producer Kevin Loder discussing the personal history of David Copperfield. Until then, be well and goodbye. 